Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. Today is the 13th of the 5th. It is a Wednesday. It looks pretty glorious in the early mornings. Michael, how are you? I'm fine, Gary. It's, it's an odd May, isn't it? It's dry as a bone, but it's cold and sunny. No, normally May, if it's, it's either wet and miserable or if it's, if it's sunny, it's going to be lovely and warm. Really bloody chilly and freezing. I hope... Dear listeners, and just take their advice, don't put your courgette plants out yet. I feel that a, a prediction I can make with a great deal of confidence, post possibly the most confidence of anything I've said on this show, is that we will have a terrible summer, because with the leaving cert cancelled, the annual sacrifice to the gods of weather will not be made. Well, I don't, we'll have to find an alternative sacrifice. The gods are not capricious, Gary. The sacrifice... That we ha- well, although I'll tell you, I don't know. I think we're sacrificing anyway. Oh, we're not sac. We're sacrificing the leaving certs students just the same. Just it's a different form of like, different ritual. Hopefully, they'll still recognise the pain and suffering that is involved. So, just to start off, just a quick note, uh, something to keep an eye on today and tomorrow. The High Court is deciding today whether it's going to allow a challenge to the COVID nineteen laws from Jim O'Doherty and John Waters. They are they are bringing it. They're looking for an application for permission to bring a challenge to those laws, and um, the state has been arguing quite strongly against it. The High Court will rule today. I'm not sure what time, but by the end of today, we should know if that is happening or if it's not. If it does happen, that is going to be a real bee in the bonnet for the government. Uh, the government's COVID nineteen laws, highly political case though, and Irish courts. Not generally fond of stepping into things like this. No, but there are, on the face of it, you'd have to say, interesting constitutional issues have been thrown up uh, about this. Uh, you're right. Courts are slow to interfere in what is you know the democratic mandated area of the of the of the government, and also the constitution is littered with the phrases like the the common good and emergencies and you know when it is necessary for public health or whatever so i think there if the the court the court has plenty of cover if it comes to us to uh, to find there won't be many i wonder will, will, will in the concert john may be because john has me but Gemma, i wonder will jenny be wearing a face mask to protect herself from the uh the noxious fumes and nefarious odors down the forecourts now you're just causing trouble who I don't know what you mean. Uh, on an interesting note, the, the Edinburgh Institute did briefly consider uh, a challenge like this. Yes, we did. We did, um, although we wouldn't have represented ourselves. And we didn't go for it for the, for the reason that the, the arguments we thought could get through, and which the people we were talking to thought would get through, were very technical and very limited. But also there was an understanding that if you bring a case like this and you lose... What sort of precedent do you set? Now, if you lost the case and the court ruled that this was perfectly fine, in fact, the government could do this whenever it wanted, that's really not something we wanted a court decision on. Yeah, there was a kind of a sense that from talking to to people wiser and certainly more expert than, than us on, on, on this subject, that the danger in this was, well, there's danger in winning, but there's a big danger in losing, that you had created law where previously no law had existed. And where judges might previously have walked carefully and with uh, concern, if you created this precedent, they would be saying, oh, well, we have a precedent for it. Yeah, nah. go ahead, lads. Whatever you're, fire on. Knock, 
knock down the knock down the house, chop down the forest, confiscate the land. It's all in the good. It's all in the name of the of the public good. Moving, as Michael was saying, from this onto face masks. It's understood that the public sometime today, or maybe by the end of the week will be urged to wear homemade masks under new coronavirus advice. We briefly talked about this before, that the government had gone from it's actively harmful to it's useless, to with a short stop in, you're stealing them from medical staff, to... We did have, the evidence does not support it. Which I never understood what that meant. Yeah, I, I, we, we're now being told that there's new evidence uh, and that now there is a purpose in this. And I believe the CMO's uh, line was that he can certainly see a role for non-medical grade face coverings. Yeah, I was, I was rooting around for this, the, new, the new evidence, Gary, that we had been promised. And had been uh, three different persons had mentioned in the last couple of weeks because this was, as this was being prepared... And we were saying to you, oh, it's coming, it's coming, because people are saying the language has changed, the tone has changed. And uh, <laughs> one person I was talking to quoted in uh, a, a study from 1935 to me. So I thought, I don't know, I don't know where that's a new study or if it's a bit like the Rosetta Stone. It's been lying in the sand and it's only recently discovered. But yes, we are going to be wearing... There is a role. It's a bit like that fellow we were talking about before who went and told his father about, you know, the the masks weren't, the masks were no, were no use at all and this kind of thing. His father responded, well, how could that be? And, it's, and the, the highly qualified academic was, no position to respond. And we, our government has got to that position finally now. I, I, yesterday it was reported, at least by RT, so I can't stand over the accuracy of it is I think that the CMO was had indicated that there there may be some role or some protection uh, conferred on the wearer by using uh, these cloth face masks which I think again is kind of missing the point the big news isn't it Gary from certainly the Yale study and and then there's a more recent study again is that yeah you get some protection how much we don't know but the big thing is we have reason to believe that there are lots and lots and lots of people who get this thing and are basically asymptomatic. And then the people that do get it but develop symptoms for the first four or five days may have no symptoms. And if they are going around wearing masks, the ma- the, the level to which they are contagious is re- seriously reduced. And that's the big news, that you can cut down the uh, the infectiousness or the contagiousness of the disease very significantly. There is there is one thing I wanted to talk about uh, about masks actually, and I've seen it. It's kind of started coming up uh, in WhatsApp groups and things like that, and it's talking about it's it's saying that if you wear a mask for a long time, it will be dangerous to you. It can cause health problems, particularly they're talking about problems caused by an excess amount of carbon dioxide, in particular hypoxia and uh, hypercapnia so slightly different things hypoxia the tissues are starved of oxygen so it's difficult to breathe in through the mask hypercapnia would be too much carbon dioxide in the blood i'm gonna go out the limb here and lay the and 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 put you a bet gary none of the people saying this did living cert honors biology well i found the the closest thing i could find to a doctor saying this was an article in a thing called the vanguard uh, which seems to be some um, some sort of African magazine. There used to be the news a newspaper from the I think the National Front in England. I think it used to be called Vanguard, but 
Anyway, I think you could be right. Um, and that suggests it. So I had a, a look around. I tried to find some studies on this, checked with the CDC, um, and just checked around a couple of places. And I was able to find one or two small-scale studies that said that N95 masks could, over time, cause headaches. Mm-hmm. And they weren't sure if that was because there was some issue with hypoxia or um, hypercania, or if it was simply because of the pressure of the mask on the face. But I wasn't able to find anything that said that surgical masks or kind of homemade surgical masks would cause that for the very simple reason that those masks aren't totally sealed. An N95 mask is, uh, to wear it properly, it has to be entirely sealed. The clue is kind of in the question, but you know the, do you know why surgical masks have the name surgical masks, Gary? They're used in surgeries. They're used in surgeries. And one of the things I've noticed over the years is that surgeons carrying out long and complicated surgeries, which can take eight and ten and twelve hours, very rarely keel over in a in a hypoxic coma during the operations, because that would be regarded as poor medical practice. So, as I said, there is some stuff saying that N95 masks can reduce oxygen in- intake. And in fact, I was able to find a couple of people who are working particularly on new developments of those masks to uh, to remove those side effects because there is an argument that it would lessen decision-making amongst medical staff who have to wear them for extended periods. But, but you're talking very extended but periods. But that's the point, isn't it? It's a question not with masks. It's a question of how long. If you're just popping in and out, out to go to a supermarket or whatever, I don't particularly enjoy like wearing masks. I don't like things that restrict. Maybe it's an unpleasant feeling. And joking aside, wearing a mask for hours on hours on end Certainly, one of the the what's the, I can never remember the number ninety five something, something ninety five mask is on. It's an uncomfortable sensation. Oh, the N nine five. I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't like to have to do it at all. When I asked the CDC, they said that anything under an hour for an N nine five mask, there should be no problem with. Over an hour, there can be issues with um, if you're wearing it continuously, yeah. that CO2 may accumulate, and that could cause headache and things of that nature. But in relation to surgical masks, uh, because they are not sealed, you shouldn't have those issues. Now, from having worn a mask, they can make it slightly more difficult to breathe in, but that largely depends on the fabric of the mask and how tightly it's on your face, yeah. both of which are entirely in your control. And if you do find it difficult to breathe through a mask, you could simply... Take it off. Also, if you're wearing a surgical mask rather than a sealed mask, breathing it, bringing it in and breathing out, you're going to be breathing out the CO two anyway. It's not like you're that's going to cause you to retain the CO two. It's just it's going to it's going to be slightly more effort. It's going to be an uncomfortable uncomfortable experience. Now, I did see from looking around at the, what the research says in this. It does say that if you have trouble breathing at the best of times, then very carefully. Try the mask. Yeah. And if you do have trouble breathing because there's now a barrier in front of your face, then you shouldn't wear it. Yeah. Um, but it's not because there is anything wrong with the actual uh, thing itself. But I've now seen this thing. This, there's been there's been one thing. There's been the health claims and then there's been the idea that this is part of some conspiracy to get people to wear masks, which... What, I don't what's, really what's the, understand as such because... What's the end game there? I don't know because I would have thought that if it is this thing to force people to wear these things, you would have seen the WHO and 
I mean, I would have thought you'd build a conspiracy around those organizations starting from the perspective that you should wear a mask as opposed to starting at the opposite direction and being dragged there by researchers. Well, what, very, very unhappily. Whatever about the structure of the conspiracy, I, I'm, I'm trying to struggle with what does the New World Order get out of people wearing masks? I mean, other than, it, you know, it's a good joke, it looks funny. I mean, what's the payback for the for the for our puppet masters getting us all to wear masks? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But the health claims, <laughs> I think, is I, mean, I think there's a tendency amongst people when when the public complain or start thinking that there could be a health issue, people just dismiss it out of hand, and I don't think that's terribly helpful. So the thing about hypoxia, that's something that we've checked. It doesn't look like it's an issue, uh, at least not to the scale that people are doing it. But if you're worried about it, you can check it out online as well, or you can reach out to these entities and they will tell you. But the problem is, I don't actually think that that's what, in this case, I think this is a case of people go, getting a lamp and going out to look for a problem with the masks because they've decided the masks are part of a wider a jigsaw of wickedness and conspiracy rather than actually reflecting a, a, a concern within the within the public about the wearing of masks. Anyway. No, no, it's... it's but anyway... This this continues our wearing a mask victory lap. Yes, indeed. Uh, I think this is the second time, but it, it's it is actually good to see. Um, and we we'll, we'll we'll probably take a trip around this on around this particular circus again, maybe towards the end of the month. So moving on from masks to something very very tangentially related, vaping. Vaping. We're back on the vaping one. Yes. Well, tangentially, I mean, vaping can well, can save you from uh, things like lung cancer and emphysema and chronic bronchitis, all of which will affect your capacity to breathe. That's true. No, I mean, that's... Congratulations on building that link. It does what I can. What, what happened is that, and um, we were recently... I think we were in the Irish Mirror yesterday talking about this, the EBI. Well, now, Gary, let's, let's... The EBI, I mean. The article, yes, I suppose it's somebody in the role of speaking... Uh, for the EBI, but actually, it was basically it was the, the article was a half half the article was quotes of Gary, basically, wasn't it? But those are the best kind of articles. <laughs> right. Yeah, you don't you don't want anyone else getting in the way of what you're saying. Yeah, clarity. That's the important thing. Clarity. So what happened is the Irish Examiner put in an FOI that looked at how much the state is actually spending on helping people quit smoking a year, and spent nine point two million. So what what we did is we pulled previous information that Hikwa had put out that basically said um, how much an average quit attempt would cost based on what the HSE was giving people. It basically showed that the HSE could provide vaping, uh, vaping tools to help you quit smoking at between half and a third of the price of other things. Or I suppose they could just let you do it yourself because it's much cheaper. And... By the HICWA, by the HSE's own estimations, this would save them millions upon millions of euro a year. So we made the point that, well, smokers, we know that vaping is far more effective at getting people to stop smoking than nicotine replacement therapies like uh, the gums or the patches. We know smokers prefer it strongly. We know it's cheaper. And we know it's one of the most effective ways to actually get people to stop smoking. I mean, just to put, put, put a face on that, you're talk, around 40% of smokers who, who give up give up through the use of willpower and other 
means. Around 40% of people who successfully give up smoking, which I think is defined by people going a year without a cigarette, are people who use, who vape and use willpower. The recidivism rate for people who are primarily reliant on uh, other nicotine replacement things like gums or or sticks or patches or whatever is remind me Gary 11 something 12 I can't remember it's 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 like a, it's a fraction literally a, a, like a quarter of the success level of uh, of vaping yeah so so we have a situation where we know vaping is more successful at getting people to stop smoking when you look at the stats it's the option that smokers much prefer when you look at who successfully quits smoking or vaping comes out pretty much neck and neck with willpower it's a 42 to 40% i think mm-hmm. so it's also the most cost effective way of doing it but we refuse to uh, in any way endorse it or tell people about it because the irish health charities have lobbied quite hard against it yeah uh, they say because the evidence doesn't support it I don't believe that's the actual reason they're doing it, and uh, that's for a very simple reason. It's because of a study they published uh, last year in which they, you might remember this, Michael, they looked at, they got a group of children together and they asked them which of the uh, vaping products looked like they were designed to be appeal more to children. And they had, it it was a terrible piece of research. I'll try and link it below so you can have a look at it. And the Minister for Health launched it and the Irish Heart Foundation and the Irish uh, Cancer Group said that uh, this showed that the vaping industry was lying about, uh, that the vaping industry was lying and that it was deliberately targeting children. It, the Minister yeah. for Health said it was it had shown him that more needed to be done. He launched it. We looked into it. They, I think they did a single survey of... 10 children it was well it was like more than 10 i think no i said it wasn't much more than 10 children i think it was something like 20 they took uh 10 kids from this of from in three different slightly age brackets from the same school in the same from the same school from the same place and asked them the same questions the it was a, a tiny questionnaire the questions were set up and actually even with all that nonsense, they still didn't even come close to to suggesting what they actually suggest. They said it suggested. It was just because actually they didn't ask. For example, do these remind you of? It wasn't. Do these remind you of sweets? Or would you buy these because they remind you of sweets? It was which of these reminds you more of sweets? And you had to and you had to grade them. So it, the assumption was built into the shall we say, experiment in inverted commas. It was, a, it was a masterclass in designing a survey to get the answer you wanted. I was a, I believe it was done by Red Sea. It was embarrassing. My, my, I mean, when I saw it, I was amazed that Red Sea would allow their name to be on it. But it came out and we lo- if we had produced that paper, we would have been laughed out of the building. But these guys got covered in the Irish Times. Everyone talked about No one talked about the sample size. But the raw truth of the matter is, if you produce a study like that, and then you say that we have proven something, that study is garbage, and you know it's garbage. Yeah, you do. So you you can be said to care about many things, but evidence isn't one of them. But what does it say, Gary? I mean, that's that's all very that's grand, fine. But you produce a piece of shit like this, and then the minister for health in the country comes out and says that this has opened his eyes, and he's going to. 
and is going to drive policy on the basis of it. What does that tell you about the Minister for Health? And possibly, what does it tell you about the advice that he's receiving from, from his uh, department? Uh, also, the two largest charities... If the charity that that mimics Irish cancer is the the, the Cancer UK, which has a um, hundred million plus uh, research budget and uh, annual donations, it's one of the big charities. What they look at the evidence, what and they are a serious research outfit. And what do they say? They say vape. Well, they don't say vape. no. They say well, if you don't if vape, you smoke, if you smoke vape, vape if you don't smoke, it is better. And you, you don't, and you don't, you don't play, smoke. Don't do don't either. Think. But there's, but they're absolutely unequivocal that if, if the choice is between smoking and vaping, vape. Cancer Research UK, uh, the Public Health England, Ash, which is the um, the anti-smoking that, group, yeah. very well known, incredibly strongly against cigarettes vis- on all forms. Will not deal with the tobacco industry. Hate them. Ash uh, UK, which I think is the original Ash, yeah. and is a massive organisation. Strongly in favour of vaping if you're a smoker. Because in, in vaping, we have the... Smoking is one of the greatest preventable causes of death in the world. And in vaping, we have a technology which is... Will get you off smoking at a high rate, which people like. I think because it doesn't feel like a medical thing, and you don't have to go to a doctor, is very cheap. Will save you an astounding amount of money if you're a smoker. So it's it's cost effective, safe, and we just we won't recommend it. And we just keep throwing money at uh, gums and patches that smokers don't even use. And when they use them, they don't have the, a great rate of actually uh, getting off it. I think that's actually one of the things that isn't talked about in this, and I think is actually one of the reasons vaping has worked so well, is because of with the with the flavors and the fact you can just go into a shop. You don't have to make a decision that you're quitting smoking. You can just go, oh, I just want to, I want, I want to try that out. And then you just keep doing it. And you've, whereas with the patches and things, you have to make a decision. Then you have to go to a chemist or a doctor. And it's, it's a medical process and it's a thing. And it's, you've set yourself up that you are now doing this thing. And one of the things we know about, say, giving up smoking or giving up drink or, or dieting or whatever, one of the reasons why these things very often fail is because you set up a target and it is inevitable. You fail. But once you've eaten that first bun that you shouldn't have had or piece of butter or pint or whatever, then it's over. Grant. The great thing about vaping is that it's precisely what you say. If you, I talked to... When I, I, I briefly vaped. And I was you talk to people in pubs or whatever. You know, that's when we used to go to pubs, Gary. And back in the old days. And you talk to people about the way they said... Well, the thing was, I just went in and I thought, well, I'll try it. Because there was a perception you could do both. You could parallel. You could have a fag if you wanted a fag. But there would be situations maybe where you couldn't get a fag, or you, but you could vape. Or maybe there are quite a few pubs where they will allow you to vape, but others won't. But you start, obviously you can't smoke. And what people found was that once they got into the vaping, the fags stayed in the bag or in the pocket. And eventually they just left the fags at home and they just stopped using them. Which I think is, is one of the reasons that a lot of people have a particular problem with this in that it's not only not medicalized. It's in many ways, it seems to be working so well, or at least I would say it's working so well. And I'd make the argument because it's not medicalized and it cuts out the medical staff and the HSE and a lot of these organisations that have problems with it in Ireland it does nothing for them. The thing itself replicates. We know that very often for, for drug users of any kind, it's not simply the, about the delivery, the delivery of the drug, but the rituals and, and, and the, the ticks 
that are that that are associated with the the taking the drug. So one of the things that vaping, I mean, you you anybody who's ever seen somebody vaping in a car, I mean, it does look like they were designed for people who want to be dragon, pretend to be dragons. Because it is even visually similar to smoking, I think is a lot of the reason health people don't like them. And you hear them talking about normalization of smoking. smoking akin behavior yeah yeah which is just such it's real mealy weasel words the reason they produce smoke is because that's part of the thing you you hear a noise you get a sensation you see the smoke it's part of that sensation of now the reality is you're you're not producing smoke at all it's producing it's it's uh it's vapor it's it's water vapor and you're producing far more vapor than you would ever have produced if you're smoking a fag. I mean, you, that kind of level of smoke. But it's but it's psychologically satisfying. And also because of the flavors, because when you stop smoking, your sense of taste and smell exactly, is yeah, back. absolutely. You went about two weeks, and then you like, as a as a friend of mine said, it's just, I don't, I just thought if I had to smoke something, I just I'd rather smoke cherry. Yeah, I I found that uh, after a while. And to me, the big thing was that you used it, you you used it as a replacement. You used it all the time, rather than occasionally, because that left you open to the, the cravings. And sometimes, if you didn't have them, you might revert if you're passing by a fag shop. You know, oh, fags. But once you got used to it, and you were some your sour apple drops or cherry or whatever the hell it was, and your your taste starts to return. Tobacco actually tastes unpleasant, in comparison, as it, it is just not a very nice thing. And also, you just get you get used to the the dosage levels. Whatever. Anyway, this is not meant to be in a sense, but it is an ad for 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 for, for replacement for it, but not for vaping and stuff. Obviously, if you don't smoke, <coughs> you don't do any of these things. Don't do any of these things because you will end up addicted to nicotine. Now, I think again, part of the objection, I think, subconsciously with some people is that they see this as just another way of pe- keeping people hooked. On a drug, and you know, because vapors say, "Well, you know, aren't we? We're happy for people to keep vaping." Now, we don't know what the long, long-term effects of vaping are. There isn't, there aren't any studies on that. There, there, but there are no studies yet to suggest that particularly negative. But we do know that if we're talking about it simply as a, as a, as a smoking cessation tool, it's the best on the market. No, it's, uh, it's also yeah. It's, it's effective, it's cheap. On the long-term studies, the, the reason that we don't have those, we have some short-term studies, which are very, very promising for vaping. But the long-term studies, work like that could take, you're talking about longitudinal studies. Yeah, yeah. That could take 50 years now, to come up and go, this is the definitive impact. There is one thing we should well, mention or, or advert to, well, two really one people will have heard of stories from the united states of people dying from mysterious respiratory illness uh and i'm not going to say actually ah, we now know it was actually covid no we know that these what was happening here in and it's pretty well been i think the the center for disease control in the united states have established this that those infections were and those lung problems were all caused by people using using the, the uh, adapting themselves the tech, the 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 instruments, the vaping instruments, using off, shall we say, off-brand uh, vaping liquids as a a cannabis oil delivery system. That no, that your basic standard commercial vaping uh, paraphernalia has not been connected 
to any of these infections. None of these infections have happened in Europe. These are only in the States. The other thing is, we hear it in the papers, you see it, it talked about, and it's part of the narrative against vaping, is about children. Now, Gary, can I surprise us we talked about this, but if my memory is that when you actually, one survey looked at the number of children smoking or, and, or vaping, rather, and the, the number came around zero. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at a very, very low level of children. What you occasionally see, depending on the country you look in, is you have... So when you look at usage, you have to look at... And it's the survey question. It's, have you ever used something? Yeah, yeah. And do you use something? As in, do you use it yeah. weekly, monthly, daily? Actually look at the, do you regularly use? As in, do you use it once a month, once a day, once a week? The You're not seeing what was uh what people were saying there'd be a surge of children vaping and i think that's due to the very simple fact that if you don't smoke vaping is not pleasant no it doesn't give you anything because you're still filling your your lungs with a vapor and if you're moving from smoking yes it's much more pleasant it's much smoother on the lungs although apparently there is an adjustment period but if you don't do that, like I, you probably don't see what the appeal is, which I mean I'm not really surprised by. That's that's what I would have thought. The yes, the the things in America, by the way, that was a um that was from um I think it was a thing called popcorn lung. Yeah, that was caused, and that was due to someone was selling uh, vitamin E acetate. That's it. Yes, that's it. Vitamin E came into it. Yeah, that had been used to cut down THC e-cigarettes. Um, because THC is not water-soluble, it's oil-soluble. And the guys who did this, it was a black market thing, they thought the vitamin E acetate was harmless to humans, which depends on the dose and depends how you take it. Right. But in an oral dose, it's really not recommended. So basically they inadvertently poisoned a great deal of people. Which is a bad thing. And yes. We, and I just want to make sure that people understand we are against that. We are opposed to that, but we're just saying that that wasn't vaping's fault. It was the fault of people who did a bad thing. No, well, I mean, if I go to a restaurant and order a meal and then pour mercury into it and eat it, the resulting poisoning will not be the fault of the restaurant. Yeah, and I wish you'd stop doing that. I just, I just love the rush, Michael. You love the pretty, you love the pretty shapes it makes in the mashed potatoes. The lovely silver. Chasing it around. Anyway, so that's vaping for you. I'm sure we will be back to the subject because until we have succeeded in making people actually begin to pretend to care about making policy on the basis of evidence rather than some kind of pearl-clutching moral panic, then I think we will have to come back to this. To the only issue I had with the Mirror article. It said the Edinburgh Institute was pro-vaping, which is a minor irritant yeah. because I wouldn't see it that way. We're not telling, like, we're not going to children and be like, are you vaping yet? Vape. Bubblegum. Have you tried bubblegum? It's just, it is the rare situation where you look at something and go, so it's healthier, it's more effective at getting people to quit something we know is incredibly dangerous and it would save taxpayers money. What do you want from us? Like just uh, the old the good old evidence based policy. So just a, a quick little story, um, Michael. So the listener, you may have heard that um China and Australia are on the edge of a trade war. China yes. is throwing around its weight trying to get Australia the Australian government has been talking to other countries, trying to convince those countries to basically put together um, an investigation into the WHO in the early 
stages of the outbreak of um, COVID-19. And for reasons which neither you nor I can make out, China is less enthusiastic about that. China is very, very unenthusiastic about that. A couple of weeks ago, the Chinese ambassador to Australia came out and said that there would be consequences, economic consequences. He was talking about how there would be economic boycotts of Australian goods coming from Chinese citizens. Now the Chinese government, uh, their Chamber of Commerce, has given Australian barley producers 10 days to respond to allegations of dumping, or the Chinese are going to put, I think it's an 81% tariff. There's two different tariffs uh, leading or putting together to about 81% on it. They've also banned the uh, import of meat from four Australian slaughterhouses on what have been described as very technical labelling concerns. So it looks like the Chinese are basically trying to pull weight on this. Yeah. Now, it's been... It's been a great problem from China, actually. Um, China is in this weird place where, diplomatically, it wants to stop things like this. And it also knows that you have to be careful about this. But Chinese diplomats and Chinese advisors tend to come from a very hard line, China is great and we will stop this by any means necessary approach, which up to this point people were willing to let slide because we make money from dealing with China. And it was all kept quiet. But now, China is in the doghouse. So anything China demands is becoming public knowledge. Yes. And a lot of countries seem to be going, you are actually deeply unpleasant to deal with. You're a Has anyone big ever old... told you that? <laughs> You're a big old bully, you are. So this is, this is a big problem from China. It cannot do, it knows, it has to know that it is not dealing with this in a way that is beneficial to it. But you've got this old guard of old-style communist diplomats and advisors, and this is the only way they know how to do diplomacy. So they're making it worse for themselves. Because I was talking to a couple of the American think tanks we know, and a couple of the European, and the Australian um, issue came up. And there wasn't a sort of, oh, we have to be careful about this because... China might do it to us. No, no. There was a sentiment which I would roughly describe as, fuck China. Like, if they want to play like this, we'll play like this. Whereas a year ago, these were not people who would have been, they wouldn't have had that approach. No, I think there's also that, that well, <clears throat> not just, listen, it's not that people blame China, the Chinese people for the, the existence, in a sense of a COVID-19 virus. However, I mean, <clears throat> it may turn out to be the act, this particular virus does, <clears throat> excuse me, owe its existence to, in some sense, the, the Chinese state. But the, the way they've managed it has been pretty well, pretty, pretty awful. And it's affected us. And it, there's a sense, uh, the world economy, the global economy has been given an absolute kicking over this. And there's a sense that China is just behaving as if nothing has changed. And it's nothing to do with me. And oh, for God's sake, get over yourselves. And it's just pissed people off because the Chinese may may have bought into their own imperial propaganda that they are now once again the the top of the predator, the top predator in uh, uh, in the world. But it is like ourselves. It is a, an economy which is massively based on exports. The domestic economy hasn't come close. To taking over, and uh, but even a country like Australia by itself could do them a little bit of pissing off. But I think what we're going to be seeing, if they, they I, and I hope at least they were going to see 
<clears throat> is a concerted response to China, not not to not to start a trade war because that would be bad news for everybody, but for groups for of nations to go to China and say, no, stop this, stop this or get a slap because we're not accepting it. And you know, this is not acceptable behavior. You have to stop. I, do you know what this situation actually reminds me of? There was a situation with the U.S. Army in Afghanistan and Iraq. Now, in those regions of the world, there is a, um, I'm not sure how to, to describe this in a, a way that's culturally sensitive, Michael. Yes. There is a, a fondness for relationships with very pretty young boys. Shall we say that way? Uh, hebophilia is part of the culture. The US Army, when it was dealing with these areas, basically told troops to overlook anything that they might run into because they needed these people on side. Right. And there were a couple of instances in which, shall we say, particularly egregious displays of local cultural sensitivity led to overreactions of heavily armed American troops chosen at an individual level. Right, okay. And um, eventually that became public knowledge. And it was if um, a lot of should we say resentment and annoyance and anger had built up amongst American troops because of this, but they could never really talk about it because it wasn't public information. Yes. And then once it became public information, lots of people were then happy to talk about deals that the American military had made with these people and that this these deals were in some way evil because of the people involved. And I kind of get that sense with China. Now that people are willing to talk more... Ne- shall we say, not negatively, but candidly about China, things are being brought up that people in the policy world knew China did and have known China did for years, like the organ harvesting. That (laughs) members of the public may not have been aware of. And there may be a sudden realisation that there is actually a cost to doing things with the Chinese. And it's quite high in certain regards. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're... you're if you're putting a moral metric on it, then I think the cost can be very high indeed. Uh, they have been bullying and pushing around for a long time. No, they, they they bought Africa. Apparently, that's a deal that they're beginning to regret. Buying Africa turns out not to have been a great investment. I uh, I have really enjoyed the Africa. I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but African countries are very much pushing back against China based on perceived racism of uh, Africans living in China. And there were videos alleging to be, I mean, African uh, ambassadors being assaulted. There's numerous videos of black people just being told they can't go into Chinese stores, uh, forced testing, relocation from hotels. But it was really interesting to see the narrative difference from Africa to Europe. Because when you read the African newspapers and listened to the African media, the line was, China is doing this to us because we are weak. And we have to be stronger so that they cannot do that to us. Whereas in Europe, there would have been a very principled, this is a breach of these people's human rights. And we're going to ask China to recognize that. Whereas Africa, possibly because they have more dealings with the Chinese, just went, this is just political strength. We just need to get stronger. And then they won't dare to do this to our people. And it's not about asking them. It's just about creating a situation where they have to treat them well. But there's been a kind of fun thing happening in the last couple of years. All through the 90s and probably earlier, but possibly earlier, but certainly the 90s and the, the early and the, and the noughties, the Chinese went throughout Africa just buying up chunks and chunks of uh, 
Oh, rare earth, uh, or rare earth minerals and and bauxites and diamonds and golds and platinums and all sorts of you. It is it is in a twist, Gary. In a twist that would make your heart bleed. They've discovered that they spent all this money, uh, and they're being left with two problems. The stuff that they own is generally speaking worth less than they paid, and they have they're essentially left with a just a, a lump of debt, or they actually have no title. They bought all this stuff, but they didn't actually get title. And uh, they're going to say, yeah, but we own that. I said, well, that's not what it says on the piece of paper. So they're, they, 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 the whole Chinese experience has not been a positive one for them. Uh, or the, the whole African experience has not been for them. But hopefully it's been a more positive one for Africans. And indeed, I think it has because they use the quids and the, the capital. And the stories increasingly from Africa and are, 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 are good ones. And maybe we might we might talk about that at some time in the future. However... So just, just before we close, there was one thing I want to just mention quickly. Because we had been talking about how the Leaving Cert shouldn't be... Oh, yes. So it shouldn't be cancelled. And there's just been a development on that that I found funny, to be honest. And it's um, it's this... Uh, it's, it was reported by the Irish Examiner. I've asked a couple of teachers I know as well. They say it's it's true. Um, Leaving Cert students are now banned from discussing their grades with teachers. And some schools are going a bit further and basically saying, you don't talk to students once class are o- is over. Like, you don't. That's what teachers... You, I, I, the, 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 this is the news I've been getting that the... Check your out. Teachers are being instructed. Uh, tuition year has now ended. And that means a number of things. First of all, in the context of the new thing, they are not under any circumstance to talk to sixth years. Now, I say, is that just about great? No, no talking, because it doesn't matter what you say you did or didn't talk about. If, there, if there's any communication between them, then people will assume that there was communication about the about the grades and about the, the, the system, whatever. Secondly, and this is going on to the... They've been told no more work can be handed in. Now, normally, mm. it would be very much the discretion of a teacher when a project would or would not be allowed to be handed in especially in the context of what's been going on where coursework or project work that people might have been doing would be a significant part of your mark now just to clarify oh in the name of men the <laughs> sorry genuinely lost it there in the name of the in the name of okay right sorry in the name of reducing stress and better mental health of the students and to create certainty we now they have announced a system that nobody understands which the students have no basis to understand or to predict what they might get as a result in the leaving cert so again in the name of mental health they've now been told that they must under no circumstances talk to the only people in the world that might actually be able to have some kind of a handle on what they should do and what their marking systems will be and what their whether or not they need to continue will their RSR be correct will the RSR be part of the marks will their project work be part of the marks will the oral be counted what's going to happen there and it's it's no i there's Again, talking to teachers, they say two things. One, in a way, it's the only practical thing to do is to say, listen, you can't talk to your students because there will be, It's a, the minute this was announced, there was going to be canvassing, there's going to be pressure. Secondly, teachers genuinely themselves do not know really what the system is every day that it comes up. Also, here's the thing. They say that you can't talk to them. You're banned from talking to them. 
uh, or else it could be seen as evidence of canvassing. But let's say a student really, or a student's parents in certain cases, yeah. really would like to have a chat with you. Yeah. Uh, what can you do if they decide that's happening? Because that would seem to be rather outside your power in a lot of circumstances. Well, yeah, no, I'd also say that from my, my sense of this is this will absolutely be the rule and it will be absolutely will will absolutely be broken by teachers because teachers are just feeling really uncomfortable with the idea that they're being told they cannot help their students. And this is their these are their sixth year students. These are kids that they will have been teaching for maybe six or seven years at this stage. Like they've gone through their whole school. They would have a relationship with these children and they feel really just uncomfortable. This whole situation is a nightmare for them and they feel terribly uncomfortable with the idea that they're being told. At the same time, they, they say, well, we don't know what to tell them because we, we don't understand. But yes, you say, what happens if someone arrives at your door? I mean, most teachers live either in the town or near the town where they teach. So Mr. Malloy, Mr. Murphy, Mr. Smith arrives at your door and says, well, I'd just like to have a quick word, Gary, about Tina or Marcus. Or oh, here's a here's a fun. What if you're what if one of your students is related to one of their teachers? Yeah. Which in a rural community in a small school, not that unlikely. Not that well certainly far from impossible, yeah. So now you just you just don't talk to them. But people will assume if that person gets a good grade that you had a hand in it anyway. Because you could have. Um, the old-fashioned thing was canvassing will disqualify. I don't know if that is going to be the principles used here. I, uh, I suspect that what the actual consequence of this will be that it's not so much that students will get into trouble, but rather teachers may get into trouble if they talk. But this just keeps on giving. Uh, we're now looking at a situation where the, the latest information is that RSRs it's, uh, our project work and things they say in history or geography or other are not going to be counted. We know we know that the comp. It's now been discussed in the department that the mock exams, which are in February, because of online availability and sharing and cheating, are not going to be considered. We know that many schools, because they do mocks in January, don't do Christmas tests. So we're now looking at what you're going to have. You're leaving certain results predicted on the basis of your Christmas test. In fifth year. Yes, and God help you if you're repeating the leaving cert. Oh, yeah. Because then there is one thing they can measure it against, but nothing else they can. <laughs> they can measure very accurately. <laughs> um, I, I, I have to applaud the government for creating a situation for graft on a scale an unscrupulous teacher could never have imagined before. Oh, I tell you, and, and I'm sure they're, they are they are they are very very few. But if you are if you are a teacher, I mean, if you wanted at to, the end towards the end of your career, maybe you wanted to, you know, you know, get boost up the old pension pot a little bit. I mean, you had a student whose parents had bit of money. Why not? I mean, we're going. It is all of the explanations that have been given. It seems to me that at the, what this has boiled down to is that the the technical advisors to the government put stamped their feet and said no and the government decided that it was not going to be in their interests or yeah uh... well i mean it, it is possible that the reason we've given for why the leaving cert isn't going ahead isn't actually accurate and there was another issue like for instance was there an issue with actually putting the leaving cert together you mean 
deciding the the, the, the paper deciding the paper and then particularly well, the printing yeah the printing would the printing is done abroad the printing I think is done in Holland usually so you yeah usually because it, obviously it can't be done in Ireland but then you're looking at having something printed abroad and brought back to Ireland and then distributed yeah and it may be that that's where this actually fell down and all of this oh it's it's about the mental health is actually because they couldn't get the bloody thing into the country. I think if you if 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 you're if you decided you were going to commit to doing anything, you would have found somebody somewhere who would have, would have printed your leaving cert for you. They were going to do it differently. It was going to be a two-hour exam rather than <coughs> there was one of the issues. Apart was that was how long you could stay in. You know the in an enclosed room. At at what point does it become problematic? Even with social distancing, the original advice was going to be a period of. Uh, two hours, but then it came down to an hour and a half, and they were saying, you know, it was hard enough at two hours to call us an exam at an hour and a half. What are you actually going to be testing? My attitude that was, you know what, you could have put in a few decent quality air filters, conditioner system, whatever, change the air, move the air through it, makes it, make it uh, uh, less dangerous. Thing. And they say, well, the cost of that, lads, we have a government deal which is going to so rupture this economy anyway. That even if we spent a few million on air on decent air, uh, in the exam halls, I don't think it would have made much difference. I mean, what the public health, the public pay deal is going to cost, that they're going to give labour and what what they're giving the greens and oh God, I think this is going to be the most expensive government in the history of mankind, and I'm not exaggerating because mm. I never do. Gosh. We will see you uh, Friday, I believe. Yeah, we will, unless we can find... Uh, it's going to be tricky, though, because normally the time that we record, of course, Gary, <coughs> I, there has an announcement come out that uh, the shops are going to be open at half past eight on that Friday, so I don't know. Um, I want to be in the air. I want to be in the queue, so I, it could be tricky. Anyway, uh, barring accidents, we'll be back on Friday. But until then, stay inside, stay safe, mind yourselves. Bye-bye. All the best.